Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wool Podcast. Jugadas afuera del área. Hummels proyecta Thorgan Hazard. La filtra ahí con Mario Götze. El disparo de Hakimi. Y aparece este goleador insigne que tiene este equipo. Ojo. Ojo, porque la roba Julian Brandt. ¡Qué error del Inter! Lo empató el Dortmund. ¡Gol! ¡Del Dortmund! La apertura de Akanji, la tiene Hakimi. Bram, Hakimi. Tocó la pelota para Jiton Sancho. ¡Qué buena la devolución, Hakimi! Hello and welcome to episode 301 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Botsko and today we talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-2 come from behind win against Inter Milan in the Champions League and then we will discuss all things Bayern Munich as Borussia Dortmund travel to the Allianz Arena on Saturday in the battle between second place and fourth place and we will point out that fourth place right now are Bayern Munich with the new coach and all that drama but um, yeah a lot of things to discuss and for that and more joins me Matthias Zuck hello Matthias good to have you on again hello Stefan how are you doing today um, today I'm, I'm doing very fine also because we are joined by Abel Messeros hello Abel how are you doing Hey, uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are you guys? Still good. <laughs> okay. H hasn't changed in the last few seconds? No, no. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm also feeling good because this episode is sponsored by San Francisco's Borussia Dortmund fan club, Borussia von Bay. And they meet at the Danny Coils on Hay Street, which is a pub, I guess, and hope for match days. And you can follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Borussia von Bay. Von is V-O-N and then Bay, B-A-Y. And on Instagram, you can find them on or at BVBSF. So shout out to the guys in San Francisco or also known as The Town. <laughs> anyway, um, there is lots to get to, of course, um, because Dortmund had a very... Um, I guess we can say historic game against Inter. Uh, historic in so far that A, I think a lot of Dortmund fans will remember this game and B, it was the first time Dortmund actually won the game in the Champions League after a 2-0 deficit. So, Matthias, um, I'm feeling very comfortable with my 3-1 prediction and uh, knowing that Dortmund would uh, have more energy later in the game as as inter um how did you see the game because you um couldn't watch it live but i think you watch it real life so um you have a, a bit more of a, of a calm 
memory of of this game. So um, maybe let's start with the first half. What went well? What didn't do? What what um, didn't go well? Well, I mean, first off, I want to start off by uh, thanking Bleacher Report and TNT for completely screwing up UEFA club competitions for all of the United States of America. Uh, we're very appreciative of that. Thank you so much. Um, no, so, I mean, obviously I saw the res the, the score um, bef before I saw the match. I was subjected to Ajax versus Chelsea, which is really entertaining, actually. Um and then watched the, the Dortmund match re-live, significantly less emotional and stressed out than I would be otherwise. Um, and what I, you know, and I went back and kind of read through the Twitter timelines again as it was really happening versus afterwards when I was able to watch it emotionless, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and tw it, it proved once again, Twitter sees things significantly more extreme than it's actually happening. Uh, when I was only seeing the Twitter timeline whilst I was watching the other match, I thought, oh my God, Dortmund is absolutely crapping the bed and having a horrible day. And oh my God, I'm, I think I even messaged you on WhatsApp. I'm so glad I'm not seeing this game. And then the game was over. I said, I'm so mad I didn't see this game. <laughs> but <laughs> watching it again, Dortmund outplayed um, Inter for, I'm going to exaggerate here. But give me the exaggeration. 85 of 90 minutes. Um, they, they, even in the first half, you could see everything that worked in the second half was there in the first half. Dortmund were faster. They were more decisive in their attacking play. The thing that, and they had plenty of scoring opportunities. Handanovic made some good saves, some great saves. But here's the big thing. Inter were ruthlessly efficient. They really had two chances and scored both times. And the first one was, you know, Akanji was a little bit out of position. Lataro Martinez gave him a well-timed push in the back uh, to create separation. And that was the end of that. And then obviously Brozovic with a brilliant solo that kind of created a very nice team goal to make it 2-0. But you never got the sense. It was like the stadium... They stopped singing for like two seconds when the goal went in and then just con continued on with their chance. And you didn't see heads dropping from Dortmund players. You, you didn't see Favre look kind of resignated like you would in the second half of last season or during that small, I'm not even going to say a negative run, but let's call it less than positive run just a few weeks ago. And afterwards you heard that, you know, at halftime they said, Hey, we can win this we're better than them, or they're not better than us. And it seemed to carry over. It seems like the victories against Gladbach and Wolfsburg were important from a mentality standpoint to give Dortmund players the confidence of going, we can do this. We can come out in the second half and dominate. And they absolutely dominated Inter in the second half. And the resignation was Conte. Conte was sitting there kind of like, oh, crap. Um, okay. I mean, he had his excuses already lined up. That he didn't get enough players, which is total crap. Um, but uh, I'm super <laughs> impressed by Dortmund. Even when they were down 2-0, they were better than Inter. They played better than Inter. The difference is Inter were efficient and ruthless, and Dortmund were wasteful. In the second half, Inter were not efficient and ruthless because they had next to no shots on goal. They had next to no opportunities. I can think of one Birki save in the second half. 
after like the 80th minute. But yeah, even it was when at the end by Sensi, I think. Yeah, but even after the 80th minute, Dortmund didn't shut up shop and go into a shell and try to defend. I was worried that may happen. They didn't. They continued to play positively. Could have scored again. Uh, could have. Could have. Should have won five two on the night easily. Um, so very, very positive. Uh, the right kind of performance again going into obviously a very big match this weekend. Yeah, that is very true. And uh, if you want to read quotes like the one of Axel Witzel, who said at halftime that uh, Dortmund said they're not better than us, uh, then you can go to theyellowwall.net and pay one euro to our or one dollar to our Patreon. And then you get the uh, post-match quotes and all other goodies. Um, but what you also can and should do is go to the Bundesliga Bulletin newsletter, which Abel Mescheros writes with, uh, I don't know how much time on his hands. <laughs> but uh, Abel, <laughs> you have uh, written quite the humdinger on that game. Um, I've only opened the uh, file that you sent me now and I'm afraid I didn't have time to read it all because I was busy transcribing the uh, press conference ahead of uh, the Bayern game, which you can also find now on uh, the yellow the wall.net. But um, just looking at the, the screenshots and, and, and pictures and, and graphics and whatnot, um, I can already see it, it was quite a deep dive. So um, why not take Matthias and me along now and and explain a little bit uh, why uh, or or how this game unfolded because I I, I think um, there there was a lot of uh, tactical nuance in this and I personally for example liked very much that Dortmund sort of stuck to the four two three one system and and how it all worked out also opposed to the to the first leg. Yeah, I mean like the interesting thing here was was the lineup so that when you play against Inter you know you're getting the like the 5-3-2 and when you have like Hazard and Sancho and Brandt and Goethe uh, there's a decent chance that you're going to need like all five of those to to stay back um and so that means that Favre actually I think did a good job of like putting in the really athletic fullbacks so Hakimi and Schultz who could basically just go um and attack without really any um, any sort of uh, repercussions and that left like a kind of a, a four on four uh, with with the inter central midfielders and like Witzel Weigel, Hummels and Akanji and the two strikers um, so like I think the, the 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 mismatch between Hakimi and Biragi who I guess has like become <laughs> a Italy international now somehow was like a, was a pretty big one I think it was like 35 seconds into the game where where Hakimi like got brought down and Biragi got a yellow card and yeah props um, to the ref to actually booking yeah yeah that was actually yeah that was actually um fairly important and like I think there are some differences in in the first half where like Dortmund tried to use Witzel as more of like in between the two center backs uh and and try to play make there and Inter actually Inter's pressing actually was much better in the first half when they were they, they could have like screen yard was up was up very high with Sancho um and the four back or the wing backs pushed up as well. So like um I think in, in, in that part they, they were better. And then of course that that goal which you know as as Matthias said said like it shouldn't have really happened because what you see is basically like a long ball and Like I, I looked at it uh, a few times and it's like a four on two with Dortmund, but Akanji just somehow gets like uh, beaten there where, where he shouldn't. And then, you know, we know like Lautaro is going to be faster than Hummels. 
But uh, like even after that, I think like Dortmund had a lot of possession. Like it was about 74% in the first 20 minutes. And I think like, you know, this is like Weigel, you know, again, like doing a lot of good switches, finding Sancho. Um, but but a lot of times it was like you had that like 4v4 or 4v5 in the middle when, when Brozovic helped out. So uh, Dortmund would get kind of squeezed to the wings and... and uh, I think some of the speed of the passes wasn't that great. So they weren't really able to create that much. Really, the creative stuff was in the first half was like Hakimi uh, get combining with Goethe or like usually it would be like a Weigl switch and then Hakimi is able to run at someone and, and create something. And as, as Matthias said, like Handanovic really made some uh, good saves. Um, and, and I think like the one, one part where I would disagree with Matthias is, is that I agree that Dortmund dominated. And I agree completely that like people were overreacting to to the result as opposed to sort of the the, the flow of the game but uh, like around the 20 minute mark I think is where um, Brozovic really uh, like took over this game and and I and I broke that down I don't want to like go through that uh, in that much detail that that that's up on the site as well but it's basically like it amounted to Favre wanted to defend him with Goetze and Brandt and whenever like Goetze was the one sort of uh, covering him it would not end well and there was like four four different times when Brozovic just to his credit just does all kinds of running to to get free and get get out from the cover shadows, get out from the the man coverage. And he made so many plays, like like Matthias was saying, uh, even before the goal, which was which was superb, the second goal. But uh, like even even before there was um, stuff in the twenty eighth minute where he gets free, and so so I think that that was the key to Inter's uh, attacking. But there were some times when Dortmund was able to contain them. And after that, they really didn't have that much. So I think that was sort of the, the story of the first half, how um, I thought Dortmund were probably in control for the first 20 minutes, conceded that goal, and then Brozovic kind of took over. And then Dortmund had this furious rally in, in the end of the first half with the, the Hazard chance the when they had that Nico Schultz. Like, I, I, what do you guys think of that header? I mean, that, that seemed like <laughs> such an easy one. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what he was trying to do there. I don't know. It probably looked easier than it really was because he, he, I think he was quite off balance. I don't yeah, know. I probably. Just, it I looked bad on replay. Nico to, you know, I, I, I think Handanovic was, would have still be able to save that because overall there was just not a lot of power on that header. But continue. So, like, I think the, the, the big adjustment, I mean, in terms of the tactics, there wasn't that much of an adjustment for, for the second half. I think Konstantin wrote about. Uh, pushing Bitzel higher, which which was the one thing that I also noticed. So so Fav kind of, uh, I think also. I mean, I, I didn't have a good way of measuring this. You, you could look at like defensive distances, but I you know I wasn't really uh, I didn't have the data for that. But I think just from the eye test, it, it seemed like uh, Weigel and Witzel pushed up higher, and that improved the counter pressing. And and I and in the article that I wrote, like you can see that uh, you know obviously you you saw the result in terms of the shots or whatever. But I think the the origin the reason for that is that uh i think Weigel made like four tackles in the second half zero in the first half like Witzel ball recoveries or like five of them were in the opponent half he had like one or two in the first half so i think that was the key to the game and actually Götze and Brandt uh did a better job of uh pressing uh Brozovic but also because Sancho was pushed more centrally so now, now they got an additional sort of helping player and that really basically Inter had zero passes into the uh Dortmund box in the second half so that that sort of tells you the story of how one-way traffic it was, and then after that, I mean, it was just it was just not not that much, but it was just Dortmund getting chances and chances, and you know, finishing a few of them. 
You know, I will add to that. Um, Lucien Favre, I think today at the press conference said that, you know, the key to the game and, and for Dortmund to build confidence is, is actually winning the ball and how they want it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I very much agree with that. And um, I think one story of the second half and this game is uh, Manuel Akanji because um, he got a lot of shit on, on Twitter and uh, wherever else you look for that mistake he made in the first half. But I have to say, that was Bamelam, Body Slam. Yeah, he, I think he Boy lost like style. one duel. He lost like one duel in the second half and like won like five or six. Yeah, but also just the, the, the way he won yeah. the ball because Inter had a lot of problems coming out of Dortmund's pressing. And you would think with Lukaku, they, they had someone to control the ball. But what I can yeah, he was invisible brilliantly yeah. is that he used his, his body to, to push through Lukaku and then either win the ball directly or, or just, uh, you know, force a deflection that would land right back at the Dortmund player. And especially um, in the minutes between Dortmund's first and Dortmund's third goal where Dortmund really dominated, um, he I think he had four situations where, where he really managed for Dortmund to, to build this relentless pressure. And uh, I just wanted to highlight that because he has gotten a lot of shit, but that was amazing. Uh, Mats Hummels, you know, he was maybe five or, or four meters behind Akanji because Akanji was was so uh, forward thinking at, at that time. And uh, it, it really reminded me a little bit of, of peak Jerome Boateng and, and that relentlessness that Bayern had often in, in the Pep Guardiola years. And... Uh, you know, it's it's just one night. It's an individual performance, but I I really wanted to highlight it um, because people should, you know, give pay a little bit of attention of of what he does really good. He's kind of like in the uh, like I mean, people have gone overboard, and I agree with Matthias about the Twitter thing, where where really we should be like uh, taking it easy on on looking at Twitter because like Akanji is now in the uh, he's assumed the Dan Axel Zagadu memorial award for like he can't really do anything right because he, he you know like people just see his mistakes and they don't see like what he does well yeah so i'm i i was super happy with him and then of course the the, the pressure um matthias there was one or th there were a couple moments but i wasn't i'm not sure if it was against the uh if it was after the second dortmund goal after the equalizer or when it was already three to two but there was a moment, and I hope you remember it too, is when Torgen Hazard got that yellow card because he won the ball and then had a heavy touch and uh, Barella, or Barella got to it and, and he just completely whacked him. You know, Bar Barella hit the deck and, and you, you could just see the, the, the white in Hazard's eye and, and just the, the, the adrenaline rush. You know, uh, the, the, the furor, the, the berserk that Dortmund have. This is just... You know the the spree they were on. I, I I thought to me that was like just just a a good moment, you know, to to that to really um yeah capture the game and 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 the 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 level that Dortmund have have played themselves in. Do you, do you think that this is sort of uh, the, the the game changer for Dortmund that they just uh, you know finally get a taste of of that blood and and uh, become basically addicts for that adrenaline rush that they got against Inter. Is this when we say mentalitätsmonster <laughs> uh, and, and kind of go with that? No, I mean, 
I I remember saying this a few years ago. Uh, sometimes you just need a guy to go out there and kick someone. Uh, and I know we all want the the beautiful game and beautiful attacking football and all that kind of stuff. And and you know the enforcer role has kind of gone away. And I agree with all that. But occasionally you need to go just go out and kick someone. And Inter Inter are a team uh, and watching them a lot, especially the last few weeks uh, that work a lot through physical intimidation. Not just technical brilliance and being good, but physical intimidation. They tend to always win the foul statistic award in the last few matches. I mean, it was, it was bad against Bologna how much they fouled. And so for Dortmund to not be intimidated by that, where I would say last season, they may have been, uh, to come out and be the aggressor at times. Um, and not, not in a dirty way, but occasionally, you know, Letting Inter know, you're not pushing us around. We're going to push you around. And, you know, hang on, buddy. It's it's going down now. And occasionally you need to do that because football is still a contact sport. Uh, no matter what we sometimes, some refs do or don't call. And physicality is part of it. It shouldn't be negative or nasty or anything like that, but occasionally you have to do that. And when you play against sides like Inter, when you play against the prototypical Italian side that has physical presence and strength, you have to set markers like that so that they don't regain the confidence to start playing up to the ability that they are able to, which they did not do in the second half. So I think that kind of stuff is very, very important, uh, especially, again, going into the match against Bayern, where there is the psychological game of, I don't remember who said it, if it was Witzel or Hummels or whatever, basically said, you know, before the match even started at the Allianz Arena in the spring, uh, they were already crapping their pants. You don't have that now. Dalton has gotten that confidence over the last few matches, and and that's why everything kind of worked out perfectly, even though everything could have worked out disastrously had Gladbach and Wolfsburg gone bad. But this this I, I like seeing that, especially from a player like Azad, who is more the technical player, more the artistic player, as you will. And with him being able to go out there and, like you said, just smack somebody, that sends a message also throughout the entire team. Yeah, I I have to say though, to to me, it it didn't look like a conscious choice. Like I'm going to go out there and hit someone. To me, it was just like the the adrenaline rush was was so high that I I, I thought Dortmund players were just completely let loose, and and Hazard to me really, uh, you know, I captured that moment in 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 this one situation. Uh, I mean, just to to run someone over in in, in complete full sprint is is. Nothing we often see from Dortmund in in that fashion, and uh, yeah, it was it was good to see Abel. Um, do you, I mean, yeah, we, I, we, we can talk a little about tactics, but I mean, the the uh, furor, as you called it, was was a sight to behold. No, it's like I mean, that's part of. I mean, like it's not part of the tactics in terms of the the sort of magnetic board or whatever, but it's part of like how you set up a team. And like I was saying, you know, Fav definitely intended to match up in that sense with Schultz and Hakimi and you know about like Azar's defensive qualities um I think you know e even even Sancho was, was contributing defensively and you've got Witzel who's you know very athletic so like it's certainly an Akanji so it's certainly I think that was uh 
that's something that I think Fav doesn't get enough credit for is is how he you know thinks about these games and how he how he matches up and and you know uh, you know which games is he going to use Pischek in who's not as athletic anymore and Guerrero who's got other strength and you know um but but at the same time like he's got enough creativity with with Weigel and, and Witzel and um uh, but even like I mean I thought it was interesting that even like Brandt uh, was able to like use his body pretty well in in duels and 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 uh in the early parts of the second half just getting into the, the pressing situation so like that was that was a big deal and and of course like you know um from from what I saw from people who were in the stadium it, it seemed like the the atmosphere was was also a huge part of it of course I mean, it 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 all come comes together then, like this this team yeah. really being on a high and and being pushed by the fans. I mean, this is ideally what you want, the experience you want as a football player, of course, and and also as a football fan, you know. So this to me was was a peak Dortmund game, especially um, Dortmund from the fight they showed then you know continued that with a lot of free-flowing football and it was it was just uh very sexy on the eyes you know there's no other way to put it um the combinations that Dortmund have were very fast and it's not like it's easy to break down into like this but um yeah they they had a couple of good combinations and uh also heads off to Hakimi how he uh Yeah. And then took over in in the second half and uh, made a lot of darting runs into the box and uh, yeah just uh, like I, like I think the first the first uh, goal he he didn't even hit it correctly but uh, you know that's... but I mean even that that goal is like so impressive because if you guys remember like he you know it's it's basically Inter get out against the Dortmund uh, pressing and it's like Kandreva beats I want to say Schultz uh, and then like he plays this ball into the middle and it's like. I think it's uh, Barella and Lautaro. Like two of them, two of them are waiting for the ball, and then somewhere, like Hakimi, like a NFL cornerback, just like jumps the route, and then like intercepts it, and then keeps going, and, and ends up making that run into the box, and, and actually like does a really smart like he, he fakes to the near post and kind of drops off, and then ends up scoring. Like like that's sort of you know that that's 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 really impossible to teach. To I mean he he is like. I don't I mean I think Lars often talks about how athletic he is and I, he he really like the, the the big thing with Hakimi is that there's no there's like no position for him but you need to have him on the field just because like he's going to make plays and that's really what he does and he's just such a nightmare because he's so much more athletic than 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 pretty much anybody he's he's faster he's obviously even more skillful and i mean i could go on and on about praise again but but you know like that it's insane that he's he's got four goals in the Champions League And could have had more, I want to say, like, you know, like, and, and the the goals that he scores, like, you always see, like, the, the same play that, that he, he ends up missing, like, even the his second goal was, you know, a few minutes before he had the same exact play with Sancho, where they really have this understanding now where you just know where he's running. And it's, you know, obviously, it's 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 not that hard to to hit Hakimi in stride because it's pretty much like impossible to give him a pass that's too long but still like he's 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 got like this, he's figured out the finishing part now that's that's really impressive. Yeah, I think both Hakimi... Well, all three goals were really well taken, Matthias. Which one was your favorite? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's hard to not really like the the eventual winner um, because just you could almost feel it coming. But uh, I will go with that first goal just because it was so important and it showed, okay, 
we can score and we can do this. It felt like that was the moment that they really, you know, they were saying before, they're not better than us, we can win this, blah, blah, blah. But when you then score against them, that's that's really when the momentum builds. So I, I my favorite was that first one, even if it was a little imperfect in the finish at the end. Um, <laughs> and it was maybe, also a good run by Goods. Oh, yeah. But but what makes it great is all the movement of the entire team on and off the ball that created the spaces necessary for it to be able to happen. That's the kind of stuff we like to see. Yeah, Abel, I, I assume you you listen to our episodes every now and then, and you know that I've been lamenting Dortmund's positional play and also the, the lack of runs they make because sometimes they, they just fail to you know pull back lines apart and whatnot. But I feel like in the last two or three games with whatever added confidence or wherever it came from, I don't know, maybe they needed that scoreless draw at the review derby to realize how shit they are. I don't know, but I think <laughs> it, it it has improved dramatically and seemingly out of nowhere, even though Lucien Favre says, hey, even in the games we all drew, we weren't as bad as everyone made it out to be. Yeah, I mean, of, of course, you know, obviously I listen to all the episodes because uh, <laughs> I enjoy the podcast, but uh, I I think there's some truth to what like Favre is saying, but, but at the same time also like a lot of those like a lot of those things that we, you, you know, you, you guys have talked to death about how Dortmund seems to like go up and then, you know, somehow get too passive. I think they're, they're here. Like that, that just seemed impossible. Although maybe the last 10 minutes you, you could sort of make the argument there. But, um, at the same time, I think, I think you, you do have more. Like, I think it probably has to do with just the, 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 the depth that you keep mentioning about, you know, how there's players now that, uh, where you don't have to rely on Royce anymore. You don't have to rely on like Alcacer because he's hurt. And, and actually like he found something with Brandt and Hazard and then Hakimi and then sometimes Sancho, sometimes not Sancho and that Weigel, um, Witzel pairing is, has helped a lot. So I think, you know, all of these things together, you know, you, you need obviously like Akanji and Hummels to, to win the, uh, the duels with the, the, the two or three that they have that's, that are key in the match. You need the fullbacks to be like either creative, like Guerrero to, to beat out the pressing sides. Um, like, like Schalke and that didn't work there. Although it wasn't his fault, but then like you also need the athletic fullbacks, like like Nico Schultz helps some, with some of that because like against Inter when you're playing against a five three two, like one of the easiest things, and you could see this in the second half was you know when you pin them back with the five defenders, then you have the three midfielders, and so any switch that you make from like the right side to the left, that you know they're never going to get over. So you're always going to have like these two v ones on the on, on the wing, and, and Dortmund actually did a really good job of you know getting some chances of that, like you know putting Sancho Sancho. Was playing almost as like a number 10 at times uh, in the second half and, and he was just uh unstoppable and i think what you always talk about uh, giving him some rest that that i think helps you know he, he didn't come off the bench in Wolfsburg and that that showed in the second half that that he was fresh so i think Favre, you know we, we we harp on some of the bad stuff too much but but he's gotten a lot of these things uh right you know with, with Hakimi with, with with you know Götze sometimes or even Brandt as a number 10 and you know now getting Hakimi involved get, getting Sancho in I mean there's you know I could go through all the all the players but there's a lot of things I, I that think, he's getting I right I think Favre's good decision streak really started with the the key decision to bring on Dahoud and Witzel yeah. against Gladbach I think this is where 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 it really started for for him to to go in, in a very positive direction. I think I have agreed with pretty much every decision he has made 
in the last games, but also because Favre wasn't as reluctant to make substitutions anymore and uh, way more positive about it. And I have to agree, um, in the second half, Dortmund really perfected what they tried in the first half is, is just a switch of play, you know, just very quick passes from one side to the other in either the middle third or even the final third. And, and as you said, the Inter's three midfield just couldn't uh, keep up. And uh, I, I think that in the end was, was uh, yeah, one of the many keys for Dortmund to win this game just because uh, they, they were very precise and very fast with this passing. And uh, I think that was just a very intelligent way to, to play against Inter. And uh, it's sad that Dortmund really couldn't deliver that in the first game. But, uh, you know, it just shows how quickly you can improve and, and what kind of potential there is in this team. And if D Dortmund play, you know, for the rest of the season in, in the way they, they played against Inter, which I don't think they, they will. And I think there will be, you know, the, the away game at, at Paderborn or whatever, where we all, uh, you know, just want to scratch our eyes out or whatnot. Who knows? But uh, you know what I mean. But I, I think um, this team has, has now reminded itself what it what they need to yeah, do. Yeah, what it was win. like a year ago, yeah. Yeah, what it was like a year ago. I think I was getting a lot of those flashbacks. Yeah. So to to me that that was uh, overall very positive. So um, I'm I'm just glad, that Matthias. I think you you're right that uh, this game and the way Dortmund won it was was just perfect because of the the upcoming game. Um, are there any other points you want to make about the Inter game, or should we move on? Oh uh, well, the only points I want to make is Conte is coming under fire now and Inter, and they kind of got lucky the last few weeks, um, not playing that well, always conceding, but playing against sides like Brescia, Bologna, and and uh, Sassuolo. Once they play against quality sides, there seems to be a lot of fragility. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on how Inter do the rest of the season. Yeah, now Dortmund are three points up in Group F over Inter. Inter have four points, Dortmund have seven. That's quite significant and I think more important than uh, the fact that uh, Dortmund lost the direct comparison. Barca, after yeah. drawing at home, uh, scoreless draw against Slavia Prague, have uh, eight points, if I'm not mistaken. So Dortmund can still win this group. They travel next to Camp now and if Dortmund get a point there... Um, and then beat Slavia, then obviously uh, it doesn't matter what Inter does. But I, I have a hunch that this uh, still may go down to the wire. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Abel, uh, what's your prediction for the remaining two rounds of, of this Champions League group stage? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like Barcelona have not been great and like everybody wants to get uh, Valverde fired. And uh, it seemed like there was, in terms of like XG, they were, they were pretty good against Slavia. But then like I looked at the passing maps and it's like just like the two center backs with like 900 passes between uh, each of them and people were really disappointed. So and Slavia, I think we've talked about this or maybe maybe on off air or whatnot, but, but they're a really impressive team with, with how much running they do and how the, you know, Chipishovsky, the, the sort of check Klopp has, has got them playing so they're like a tough team to, to play even for Inter but uh, yeah I, I don't know about like first place for, for Dortmund I think that, that that could certainly happen but I, I see like second place as a pretty realistic and, and like you you, you uh, alluded to I, I'm, I'm gonna kind of take that path as well you know kind of you know get the get the point in, in the Camp Nou and then beat Slavia and beat them with that. 
Yeah, so in interesting group stage. Um, certainly, it was always going to be interesting. But uh, now, you know, just very positive for Dortmund. Just this week overall, um, you know, with the cup win against Gladbach and then uh, beating a, until that point unbeaten VfL Wolfsburg and then coming back against Inter in, in that fashion. So I think the anticipation for that Bayern game is now really, really big. And uh, who can blame Dortmund because they can, of course, uh, be the salt in Bayern's very much open wounds right now. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, Matthias, do you think it helps Dortmund or not that uh, Niko Kovac is uh, history? Well, I mean, his right-hand man, at least this season, Hansi Flick, is still there. I mean, I think it would be better for Darwin if Kovac would have stuck around for one more weekend, uh, <laughs> just because the discontent was the animosity that seems to really be coming to the surface now of players versus him was so bad. I, I It's uh, the worst it's been in a long time. Uh, worse, I believe, than it was when Ancelotti was finally pushed out the door. Um yeah, I mean, they played well against uh, Olympiacos. So, but, sorry if I may interrupt you, know, you right there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I haven't paid too much attention to Bayern. Uh, how did that animosity manifest itself? Yeah. I'm just very intrigued. Uh, you know, if you just if you read between the lines over the last few weeks and, and just comments from players, uh, you could just sense that they don't like the guy. They don't want to play Who's- for the guy. And and there were a few more pointed comments. I don't remember exactly yeah. from like, I, which I they were. I do remember. Sorry, like I do remember. Like the one thing that he was saying, like Kovac was was talking about, like the Thomas Müller is sort of an emergency option. And then like he had that quote where he's saying, like we tried to play against Liverpool. Like it's like driving a car. We we should have been. We like we're trying to drive a hundred. We could only drive a hundred miles per hour when when we would have needed two hundred, but we can't. And then like he said, like Frankfurt has the the best fans of the league, and <laughs> and like he was making these comments, and you know, add that to the summer stuff where like he had to apologize to Manchester City because of like sort of improperly contacting Leroy Zane and. It, it almost seemed like, and I, I don't know, somebody wrote this, I think, uh, I can't remember who, but uh, that, that he was kind of fed up with it and he was like happy to, to leave. And, you know, like I thought that was interesting. I don't know what you guys think of it, but like in the, there were so many versions of, of the reports on how he left Bayern and, you know, the official line was mutual consent. But then like Christian Falk was, was reporting that uh, like he basically offered to resign and that's why. That's why they they made the switch to Hansi Flick. Like, what did you guys think? Is it just like Kovac kind of, you know, taking one one last shred of his dignity and saying, "Well, I'm going to resign," or like, you know, just instead of mutual consent? I already said it last week because I saw the development of uh, Sport Bild and uh, Christian Falk. He basically wrote first that Kovac would be given two more games, which would be the one against mm-hmm. Olympiakos and Dortmund. And I think uh, Niko Kovac just said to himself, well, obviously I want to be graded on a long-term development and not be subject to the results of, of two games that can really go either way in a, in a, with a team that's very unstable and defensively uh, you know, a far cry from solid, let's put it this way. So I think he just realized um, this weird ultimatum it's not a real one and it's not going to end well for him either way. So I think he just thought it's it's better it's, to resign. So yeah, I, I think Yeah, that's what I heard as well. So I same. think yeah. he, he had incentive. I think he, 
he knew what was on the cards for him. So that's my opinion. I don't know if you see it differently, Matthias. Well, I think he's uh, he was he's probably the most relieved man in Germany right now. Um, you know, it's like, oh god, I got a massive payday. You know, let's not forget that. Uh, you know, his his bank account's pretty good. But and he won the double. No, and I think he's getting a job at like Hertha or, or something easily. Like he can get any any job that's like a you know not a top team now. Oh, for sure. If Hertha becomes available, Niko Kovac is going to be the manager there. I mean, he's a he's a Berliner. He came from Hertha. I mean, he's a former Bayern player that seemed yeah. people forgot that he used to play for Bayern half the time that he was there. I think he's a good coach. It was a bad situation. I still maintain he has he had to deal with literally the most incompetent sporting director in all of German See, football. Yeah. Uh, Bratzo Zalihamidzic is a joke in that position, an absolute yeah. joke. And then obviously dealing with likes of Hunes, uh, you know, I, honestly, I don't even know what to make of Rummenigge uh, in the mean, meantime. But, you know, you've got Hunes there and Zalihamidzic, and even though Zalihamidzic and Kovac played together for Bayern, it just is just so dysfunctional that at the end of the day, I mean, A, still says a lot to the depth of and the power of at Bayern squad last season that despite all that dysfunction, they still won it and fairly comfortable. Fa- I'm not going to say fairly comfortably, but okay. maybe for the last month with Dortmund continuing to slide, it became comfortable, but yeah. uh, they're, they're definitely seeing a lot of the issues. I hope that Bayern fans don't make it easy for themselves in saying, Oh, Kovac is gone. Now things are going to get better. The problems at Bayern go way beyond Niko Kovac if you look at the squad, if you look at the the circus that surrounds FC Hollywood once again, um, he never had a chance because he couldn't play the way he wanted his team to play because he didn't have the players. And I think that's what he meant with his whole 200 uh, Kamaha yeah, yeah, versus yeah. 100 Kamaha. He didn't say it the right way. God forbid. You're basically calling them all slow has-beens. Um, <laughs> But I know what he meant. Um, I no, wish him all the best. I think he's a good coach, but that he was over his head. And like, just to touch on that, like he he is, you know, you, you, people forget that he he was at uh, Salzburg and he finished his career there, and he and he wants to play that way. Like you, you could see that at the Frankfurt teams where he wants to play fast. And I think you know there was a element of his counterpressing early on that that really worked at Bayern. But then as as the players kind of got either tired of it or were just like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. We don't have to do it every game. And I don't know how much respect he had. I think, I think like the Ancelotti stuff was, was probably the worst. Like, I don't think it was that bad from, from what I read from the stuff that like Rafael Honigstein was reporting. It wasn't necessarily that bad, but certainly, you know, uh, and there were players against him and Bayern actually got rid of a lot of those guys in the summer. You know, some of them ended up at Dortmund. Some of them ended up at Fiorentina and retired and whatnot. But it just seemed like I agree with you. The same thing was like an impossible situation for him to to succeed. And, you know, he he sort of did last season, but then there wasn't anything developmental wise. And I mean, I, I, I watched like every Bayern game and had to write a lot about them a lot. And 
you know, it, the biggest thing with Kovac, and I think this is what Bayern fans are complaining about, is that there's just no style to the team. Like, there's no identity. And you, you knew what Bayern's identity was under Hitzfeld. You knew what they wanted to do under, like, Louis van Gaal and the same thing in Guardiola. Even, even like, uh, Klinsmann had some kind of an identity. And with Kovac, you just, like... You know, you hope you get to the the front three or front four, and then Lewandowski is going to score, or Gnabry is going to create something, or Kimmich is going to get that lofted cross in, and that's that's they're going to score, and that's it. So, if we look at Bayern this season, they have already conceded 16 goals, which is exactly half of what they have conceded last Bundesliga season. So that is, of course, not good for Bayern. Uh, that record has been further blemished, of course, by that five to one loss. Um, but Abel, I see a lot of defensive struggles at Bayern, similar to what Dortmund sometimes have. Um, obviously now they will be without Lucas Hernandez, without Niklas Süle for a longer time. Jerome Boateng, who, um, is out for the Saturday game will obviously return because it's just a one game suspension after being sent off. In Frankfurt, I think it's two two games actually. Oh, two games. All right. Well, yeah. uh, that's uh, that's too bad. I mean, he's he's out anyway in against Dortmund, but uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my point is, um, right now I have not a lot of confidence in Benjamin Pavard. He looks more like the Stuttgart player than the Bayern player. Um, David Alaba as a center back is uh, not the ideal solution. <laughs> Javi Martinez. As a center back against Dortmund, has a history of uh, funny fuck ups, <laughs> and Alfonso yep. Davis uh, of on goal fame in Bochum uh, so far also hasn't <laughs> quite impressed me. So the back line to me seems to be Bayern's biggest problem. Uh, I think they're fine, obviously with Lewandowski and and the like front four, but. Uh, Obviously, you can't just point at the back line and say, well, these four guys are at fault and the rest of the team is is, is perfect. So uh, what exactly are Bayern's struggles on the football pitch? I mean, like the biggest thing is the personnel stuff, because because you mentioned is that they don't have any options anymore because the way the squad was built is going to be it's going to be small. You're going to have a lot of multi-positional players you know everybody that came in and now the thing is that you know basically like even Kovac wanted to play Kimmich as a number six but Kimmich is also their only like creative fullback because Alaba has really not been that good has been hurt that much you know uh, same thing with Hernandez so so kind of you, you need like two Kimmichs for, for Bayern because the way Thiago has played this this season has not been great um and he I don't know like there wasn't anything between him and Kovac but he just doesn't look great so like you know you can't really play Kimmich at the right back because then you don't have anybody in the middle but then you know when you don't have him at right back like Pavar is, is more of really like a right center back where where he stays back a lot he's he's a lot more sort of you know deeper passes and doesn't doesn't get forward he doesn't have any sort of the 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 final third creativity that Kimmich has he doesn't cross the ball as much um, so, so that's, that's the issue there. And like the biggest other issue is that, you know, with now like Alaba, who looked pretty lousy against Olympiacos, we had like kind of Aaron passes, Javi Martinez finally, finally played. And I think like it's, 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 it's the only two center backs they have. I mean, then like if they want to bring up like Lars Lucas May, or I think actually like Chris Richards, the American is going to be somehow in the squad now. Like it's, it's not, it's not that great. And, um, Davis, I mean, I think Davis is actually like quite decent because of his speed and the dribbling stuff, but like his positional defense obviously needs, needs a lot of work. I mean, the, the Bochum stuff was, 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 was really weird. Like he just walked into his own goal and, and or I think it was against Frankfurt, maybe like uh, Frankfurt. There was the, the fifth goal where like he's he's guarding like Paciencia, and then like he ends up 
backing into his own net. So like a lot of that stuff you you need to kind of learn. And like the biggest issue with Bayern is 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 that the defense but also like the the positional play that you you know we we harp on about Dortmund. Like theirs theirs is just as just as problematic because what ends up happening is you have either Kimmich or Thiago as the number 6 and then like their number 8s either go really really far up and be disconnected. So Coutinho, Müller, Goretzka, Tolisso like both of them like have been really not very good. And so what ends up happening is you you isolate the sort of back four with with Kimmich and and maybe the other defensive midfielder from like the front five, and then you know you can just kind of cut cut the team in half. And if you have like enough guys back, and 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 most teams will have like four or five back, then then you just you just kind of say okay, well we're gonna we're gonna press you in. You're gonna try to like that's kind of the recipe of the blueprint against Bayern is you, you press them in, and you, you know they don't they don't have really uh, any pressing resistant players other than maybe Davis dribbling, but you can't count on that, and then Kimmich. So you kind of are you're, you take your chances with Neuer, Alaba, Martinez, Pavard playing out of the back, and then you 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 just take the the, the long balls and you try to just win the one v ones against the the front five. And kind of they don't get into a rhythm, and then you know they they're also not in position to counterpress because they're so disconnected. So so that that's really been I think the, the major issue between Bayern. So Abba, to ask you this, do you do you think the uh, way that Bayern have played is something we will also see on Saturday? Because um, I feel that for this game, especially Bayern, always somehow managed to. Uh, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and uh, yeah. play a much more ferocious game than than they usually are even i think the uh 3-2 win last season uh by dortmund was actually you know the the best the best bayern game by bayern yeah. in a long yeah. time by then sure yeah i mean i'm actually like a pretty big hansi flick fan who is the uh Uh, assistant coach now named interim head coach you know you, you people people will know him from uh, Yogi Love's assistant and DFB Elf and uh, maybe even Hoffenheim and he's a you know a tactician but also every Bayern player raves about him like he a lot of people are saying that he was the the big sort of uh, uniter in the national team between the Dortmund and Bayern players and like he uh, you could see a little bit against the Olympiakos in the Olympiakos game that he kind of tried to improve the structure by Like bringing uh, Goretzka and Müller, who, who I think kind of are the same player to me. So, but 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 he also like I think the difference is that he didn't have the fullback so high. Like Pavard and, and Davis were fairly conservatively uh, staying back. Um, so, but but overall, like I think there's going to be some some sort of maybe changes just because it's like kind of a new manager bounce and you know Kovac is gone and people you know like Hansi Flick and he can he can get some things, but obviously you know having been there for i mean he's been there since the summer but having and and he's been like involved with the like i mean the, the interesting thing was that like you saw these videos in training camp where he was cutting up the pitch like Tuchel and Guardiola you know eliminating the the the, the wide area so they they would play more centrally in the half spaces and you saw some of that in preseason and then like once the season started and then they had that draw against Hertha that that just that just that stuff just went out the window And I think that was kind of the the thing with Kovac is that so you know call once the Tedesco and, effect, <laughs> yeah, pr pretty much, yeah. Like you just abandon abandon ship. I mean, you you know, it's it's tough because anytime Bayern draws, it's the end of the world. So, um, so in, in that sense, like the the news today has been that if Hansi Flick can can somehow impress in a Dortmund game, he he's pretty much going to have the job for uh, the the rest of the season just because the like uh, there's no other suitable or available candidates. 
Yeah, Matthias, uh, about that, I've uh, seen that, da that Bayern basically said that they don't want Arsene Wenger. Uh, like, yeah. they, they, they've been, they've been uh, rumors about Ralf Ragnick, Wenger, Tuchel, what, whatever. Like, there's been a lot of back and forth. Can you shed some light on, on that uh, shit show at Bayern and their search <laughs> for, I don't know, I guess an interim coach until Ten Hag takes over <laughs> next season? Well, obviously, they first tried Ten Hag. He immediately said, no, thank you. Not during the season. Then they went, okay, okay, so not Ten Hag. All right, let's let's call Thomas Tuchel. We, we talked to him once before, and he was like, yeah, no, no thanks. Then the Rangnick thing came up, but as long as Hunes is alive, that won't happen. Um, and then Venga kind of showed up out of, out of nowhere. I uh, hear Mourinho is putting himself up for the job, uh, as he is for every job that's available. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be, uh, Ten Hawk. I think it's very interesting, though, that, uh, there are zero rumors, uh, around Nagelsmann. I mean, I know he's at Leipzig now, but, you know, seasons end, things change. I just find that interesting given how, For the last, I don't know how many years, it was always like, well, Nagelsmann's going to be the next, you know, key Bayern manager. But that seems to have completely gone away. And it looks like odds are, unless Tuchel, who is not undisputed in Paris, uh, unless he loses his job, um, my assumption will be that it will be Ten Hag. Yeah, like I, I feel the same way because I mean I, I I come back to the thing that I wrote when Nico Kovac was appointed that like he was candidate number like nine or whatever and and I and, like ended the article uh, on the Bundesliga Fanatic with saying that like the Bayern job is really not that attractive because who the hell wants to work with Uli Hoeneß and who the, who wants to work with Rummenigge and you know then you have like Salihamidzic and then then that's just and that's not even like counting all the pressure of like needing to win the Bundesliga by 15 points and then getting to the Champions League semis so. Uh, and and also like you're gonna have all these like outside voices and and you know people telling you who to play who not to play you know this kind of so I really don't think like Nagelsmann you know what's his what's his motivation to go there like now he's in a much better situation I think Tuchel kind of the same thing like he his contract is till 2021 so you know you're the very top coaches I don't even think they're seriously thinking about Bayern and that's that's that tells you a lot about where Bayern are you know despite it winning you know the Bundesliga every year but sort of internationally they're 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 sort of in a different bracket now and um that's why you get the Nico Kovacs of the world and and that's sort of fine and you know those guys have to take the job because it's the opportunity of a lifetime you can't turn them down I mean you know like even even somebody like on, on our show on our tv show like you know because we're Hungarians like somebody suggested Pau Dardai and I was like you know I kind of laughed it off but then I'm like well isn't he like Nico Kovac in some way you know so Like, why not him? I mean, at some point, you know, then, but then if it's not that, then you get like the Mourinho's and you get like the, the weird appointments and, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're luckily they're not in like the Mirko Slomka Typhon Korkut zone yet, but, but it's like, it's, it's, it's getting there, you know? Yeah. All right. So, um, may, maybe we will focus a little bit more on the happenings on Saturday. Um, Abel, how do Dortmund contain Robert Lewandowski, who, uh, I don't know, is breaking records left, right and center, and then will go under the knife to receive, uh, I don't know, groin surgery, something yeah, that something, should yeah. keep him out for 10 days. So some, somehow, somewhere he's hurting. Uh, but, um, to me right now, he seems to be uh, Bayern's number one lifeline. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, with with him scoring like one and a half goals or whatever every game. That's uh, definitely a uh, you know astute observation there. But uh, like, you. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, if I knew the answer to how to contain him, I'd probably be working for for, for Dortmund or some or, or some other Bundesliga team. So there's really like, I mean, you know, he, the the big difference between him last season and this season is that he doesn't really create much for for others anymore. Because last season he was running like. Uh, a few goals under like uh, his his xG for the first time in his career, but he also had like career high like key passes. And this season, like he doesn't really do any of the 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 sort of the grunt work. Like he just lets like other people um, do the, the 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 creative work. And he he's, he's become a finisher. Um, I mean, he's always been a finisher, but he's become like exclusively just guy who takes really really good shots. I like like uh, Mike Goodman actually wrote a good piece on it on Satsbomb and it's just like yeah he takes really really good shots and he takes like four or five of them and and then he gets you know a bunch of goals and, and that's pretty much it and I mean if you saw like he's, he scores every single goal like if you saw the the Frankfurt game I mean he had that that goal where he just basically you know ran through three guys in a situation where you know 99% of the time like somebody just loses the ball and he had like two other of those runs where, where you're like how does this guy is it was a you know center forward make those kind of dribbling runs and then he's great in the air and he's there on set pieces and so i don't know i mean i really don't know like what 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 it is to to contain him i, I you know you, you kind of have to like say okay he's gonna score one at least so you got to make sure that you you score at least two yeah i i think uh Lewandowski will be on the score sheet i mean he has scored what 10 goals in five games against dortmund so uh yeah um just, so you're just, going out on a limb there that he's going to score. Yeah, just recent, recently. So, um, Scored I, I, like I guess 19 the, games. The other source for Bayern mostly ha- has been Serge Gnabry. So yeah. um, if you can't cut Lewandowski off, is there any way to, to contain Serge Gnabry? Because I, if I look at Dortmund's uh, you know, fullbacks, I, I sometimes worry because uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. in one-against-one situations, they're not always the best. Yeah. Yeah, with Gnabry, it's interesting because like the one thing that Kovac has done uh, and I praise him for it is that he's the way he's put like Gnabry in different positions to succeed. Like he's he a lot of times like he plays um, in possession, like he drops back into like a right half space or left half space as like a number eight. And that creates a lot of problems for like uh, opposition defenses because they don't know whether they should go with him and then leave the sort of gaps exposed so people can make runs into those channels. And he's also, like, just really, really good in 1v1s. Like, I think, like, one of the goals that Bayern always scores is that they, like, you know, switch the ball around and then they have, like, a, a Kimmich or Gnabry kind of 2v1 and then, like, he cuts inside. And he's really, really, like, become, like, the Aryan Robin of, of Bayern. I think that's, that's a... I think his skill set is uh, fairly similar, I, I would say. And uh, I think he's number one in the Bundesliga or, or like, tied with Timo Werner in the uh, expected assists. And I think a lot, not a lot of people are talking about his creativity. I think people are talking about about his goal scoring but he's like and I think the, the good thing about Gnabry is that he will have like terrible games or at least like portions of terrible games like like if you saw him um uh, even against Bochum like he he looked like he couldn't get a first touch you know and then he he does tend to like sometimes drift in out of games so if you can maybe get him on sort of a bad day or, or you can kind of you know, uh, not give him that space on the wing or maybe maybe like really diligently track back. So I think like Hazard is actually going to be like what I would do is I would try to put Hazard on the side that Gnabry is in because to me, like he's probably the most defensively disciplined winger that, that Dortmund have. So uh, you can also try Hakimi just because athletically he's good. But, you know, positionally, I'm not sure if he's uh, aware enough. 
Yeah, the thing is, I would probably play Hakimi again as a right back, and uh, Gnabry would, will, mm-hmm. will play on the other side. So Hazard is would, would be my answer too, just because as as much as I would like to see Lukas Piszczek, um his his uh, speed deficit against Kingsley Coman is is just uh, out, yeah. out outweighs the attacking mindset of Hakimi. Let's put it this way. Yeah, I think I think it's a good good shout. I just think like it's it's because you know Piszczek only came on as like sort of a last minute thing, and uh, Guerrero also like didn't play that much. Like it's kind of their 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 turn almost. Like I think the rotation, just the way it works out. Um, I, I probably would agree with you. You know, I, I don't know. Like it it's, it it seems like Favre sees Hakimi as more of a you know attacking wide midfielder now and than, than anything. And uh, although you know you, you would ho- you would think that. If the game unfolds, like I think it will, where Bayern have a lot of possession and you can use Hakimi as sort of the extra guy on the counterattacks, I think that's a useful strategy. Yeah, now, Matthias, to my favorite subject, the double pivot. Do you think we will see the Witzel Delaney partnership again on the football field against Bayern, or do you think Favre will stick to Weigel? Um, I think at this, gosh, you know, I don't know if he's going to rotate. I think Vincent is set to play. Uh, other than that, the partner next to him, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, Delaney. But again, I thought he would play against Inter, which he didn't. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, think it's I, I'm going to go with Vincent Weigel. I really hope so. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I think, uh, the the connections to midfield and the switch of play that that Weigel has provided in, in the last games uh, thoroughly outweigh whatever Delaney delivers, even though Delaney is, uh, you know, the Messi and Kai Havertz stopper. Yeah, but I I mean, if if you want to play Delaney, this is probably one of the yeah. the better games to do it. But I don't know. I I'm I'm sticking with Weigel too. Now, um, we don't know if Jaden Sancho and Marco Royce will be fit. I have a hunch they will not. I don't even know if they will travel. To Munich, uh, the way Sancho looked after yeah. pulling a hamstring, I don't know. I, I would rule it out. Favre wouldn't and uh, Marco Roy's ankle in problems. I don't know if he's at 100% if he can play or not. We'll, we'll see. Um, and Favre said that there are two other guys who are touch and go but wouldn't say who it was. So I would think one of them is Marvin Hitz, wouldn't wouldn't you? Because he, yeah, he had some sort of injury problems, stuff. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I I assume Bukki would start anyway. So um, yeah. Abel, what? M- let's say Marco Reus is fit. What what do we do yeah. with it? Because Julian Brandt now has, yeah. has played two games in a row, and uh, a third game would obviously be a lot to ask, especially such a big game. But then again, uh, Hazard, Brandt, Hakimi, and whatnot, and and Götz up front, they've really built a synergy. Which uh, we yeah, haven't would... seen the like with Royce on the field. So, um, what what do we do? I don't know. I, I'm on the the team where I think you you kind of bring Royce off the bench and and hope like he can you know he needs to because I don't think he's going to be fully fit you know and he hasn't. I mean, I, I can like I can't really think of like a great game he had and I know he has like pretty good stats, but but it seems like a lot of those are just you know 
I don't want to say like meaningless goals, but I don't think he's had a good season. I think I think that's a fair assessment to to make. And and the team looks better. I agree with you completely uh, about the point that you made with with Branton and Hazard and and even Sacho and Akimi and, and Getsa sometimes. So what I would, would do is I would I would start like Brandt uh, as, as sort of a number ten uh, behind probably uh, Getsa and then like bring in like Royce and then uh, Paco Alcácer if if the team needs it around sixty minutes or, or whatever depending on the game situation. Um, so I think, I think, I think, cause, cause I think once you start Royce, you really don't know how long he's going to go. And Brandt, although he was kind of a useful sub in Köln, he does tend to think better. I think he performs better uh, as a starter. Yeah, I would, I would actually do what you just said. If, if I were Favre, I would start Brandt knowing he can yeah. go 90 minutes. Then I would bring on Royce later in the game. And Favre has said that Alcasa basically had just one full training session. 30 minutes. The yeah. Yeah. The whole month. So I assume Götze will start too. Um, Matthias, are there any uh, any any other ideas? Because that's that's how I would definitely approach it. I agree with you there. All right then. So we've discussed the double pivot a little bit and and the the front four or whatever. Um, so obviously um, the fullback situation is is a tricky one against Bayern and Dortmund have a lot of options. So Matthias. What would you do? Uh, uh, thanks. Um, well, geez, uh, you caught me a little bit on the wrong foot as far as where my brain was in that moment. I'm sorry. Um, so you you have the athletic the athleticism of Schulz and Hakimi, which worked well against Inter. You have the experience of Lukas Piszczek and the uh, pressing resistance of uh, Rafael Guerrero. So, uh, I, I, I personally believe it'll be, I, okay. I always say what I think will happen versus what I would like to happen. What I would like to happen is probably have Guerrero. uh, Well, eh, Schulz, given that he's going to be on the uh, uh, Nabri side, I don't trust Guerrero defensively. I trust Schulz more. And Pish and and then have Hakimi on the other side. My gut is telling me it'll probably be Schultz on the left and Pishek on the right. So you're you're like uh, you're on the kicker. Kicker also had the same uh, lineup. What about the artist formerly known as Marcel Schmelzer? No, I I, I was kidding. That was, so that injured, was not a, I uh, see. I don't know. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm the same way where, where I think you, I think Pischek is going to get the start because it's a big game and he, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't start. And I think he actually, you're going to, because Sancho is probably going to be out. You're probably going to have to use Hakimi as, as a winger or a white player. And then, um, I, I agree with Matias. Like, I, I like Guerrero infinitely more than Schultz, but, uh, this is kind of a game where, you know, um, Guerrero might not be as as useful, and his defensive liabilities are going to be uh, are going to be uh, exposed. Or maybe you could do the thing where you you play like uh, Hakimi and Guerrero on the same side, and then they they'll switch or, or I don't know, do do something weird. Yeah, no, I I would play Schultz too. I don't know. Um, it's 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 definitely tricky, and I can see why Favre uh, you know has a lot of options and how it's tough to to make good decisions. So it's it's a uh, Good for him to be on a good streak there. Um, though I, I think it's actually, um, 
you know, likely that Dortmund will create a lot of chances from the wings um, because that's where this is where where Bayern often get caught out, and then you have a pass to the middle and to tap in or something. That's uh, how I remember Augsburg, for example, scoring. So if you manage to beat Bayern's fullbacks, um, then then uh, you you can win a lot over there, Munich. Um, Matthias, do you think this is uh, the best chance in four years for Dortmund to go to Munich and win? Because if I remember correctly, the last four results, and I don't have it in, in front of me, but Dortmund lost 5-0 last season, then Anna Stöger was... Six nothing. Then before that, uh, it was I think four to one for Bosch, and then Tuchel lost five to one. So the last four years at the Allianz Arena and the Bundesliga were not very glorious for for Dortmund. So do you think this is a good chance to 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 go there and and play Bayern not only because of Bayern's form but also a little bit of of Dortmund's form and and their um let's say counterattacking prowess that they certainly have. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of like I said, I, it was the right time for Dortmund to play Inter this time because Inter were a little bit down uh, given how they'd been performing versus Dortmund going up. Well, now that trajectory for Dortmund is even more so. And for Bayern, yeah, they beat Olympiacos, but let's be honest, it was kind of a, a foregone conclusion in that, that aspect. Um, I think uh, Frankfurt, uh, Frankfurt. <laughs> uh, yeah, they lost to Frankfurt. Uh, Bayern are definitely more on the downward trajectory and, and kind of trying to find themselves again. I, I do rate Hansi Flick as a coach. Um, I think he's an intelligent person. I think he can get something out of a still extraordinarily good Bayern side. Um, that being said, it is the perfect time for Dortmund to go in there and, uh, lay one down and, and really not just beat Bayern, but uh, I'm not going to say dominate, but really make a statement uh, to everybody in the Bundesliga. It, it, that's that's what this opportunity presents itself to them. Yeah, I think so too. Abel, do you think that uh, we will see a statement win from Dortmund? And uh, do you think it would be a bigger statement to dominate Bayern from the outset or to have another come from behind win? Because... I've seen Bayern's energy levels in 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 recent uh in in recent weeks and they have not been great and compared to Dortmund who you know have have more resources it seems and and uh, have have a little bit more fitness I feel like it could be yet another game where Dortmund score late and and win it then Yeah I think it's certainly plausible you know the it would be a good time to dominate Bayern because You know, they, they had to play like basically 80 minutes with, with 10 guys in, in, in Frankfurt. And then, you know, no rotation because they really don't have any players, like especially in the back, like the, the, the back sort of five and six. You really, I think they only rotated Thiago. Um, we didn't really play against Olympiacos. And then, um, you know, you you uh, basically no rest for Lewandowski or, or Gnabry and, and, and Coman. No, you know, got not rest, that much. Uh, so Lewandowski yeah, got a rest against guess, Yeah, yeah, you got it like one half of a rest. Yeah. And then, you know, look how that turned out. That was one of the ugliest halves you've ever seen from, <laughs> from a Bayern team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like you could actually see this. I think both, both scenarios are interesting. I think Favre is going to choose the latter where, where he's going to like be a little bit more conservative. And he kind of shouldn't, which like I was looking at some of the pressing stats for, for, uh, for this and, uh, like, cause, cause I, what I saw from, from Dortmund is that they seem to be like 
by, by the eye test kind of pressing higher and, and a little bit more. And uh, the numbers kind of back this up. So the last three Bundesliga games, their PPDA, which is the passes per defensive actions allowed, is is like nine, which is, you know, better than the, like 10 and a half was in the Frankfurt Werder uh, Freiburg game. So their pressing has uh, improved. Uh, and I think that could be down to uh, stamina, as you like to say, or the the depth as well. Uh, and I think that would be a, a good way to do it. And, and maybe you, you expect them to kind of press uh, Bayern for the first 15 minutes because that's a pretty uh, easy Bundesliga tactic that a lot of teams use. And then seeing how uh, Bayern are able to get out of that if they're if, if Dortmund can maybe get something out of that early or you know if Bayern can can somehow beat that then then the game game will change and then uh but I agree with you that, that Dortmund will will likely have uh more depth uh late in the game because I just don't think like Bayern you know they have like Perisic who comes in and scores and sort of you know the, the he scores like the 2-0 or the 3-0 in the the sort of easier games uh, but you really didn't see anything from Goretzka or, or Tolisso this season and Thomas Müller. They were they were saying like he's he's without a goal for like a thousand and one hundred and twenty whatever minutes, um, and it's his worst drought since like twenty eleven. So uh, he's actually like a, a guy that Hansi Flick really likes. So you can you can even maybe think about him him starting. But uh, uh, you know at the same time he also played the midweek and Coutinho didn't. So maybe maybe uh, it'll be Coutinho. It's hard to say. So as much as I see this, you know, as an opportunity for grand schadenfreude, my focus is still a bit more on Dortmund and their own mentality. You know, we've talked about Mentalität Scheiße and maybe in the, in a second we can talk about the uh, Männerfußball comments from, from Zorc. But um, <laughs> on, on, a, on a more serious note, I, I think Dortmund have pulled them out of this hole they've, they've dug themselves into, which basically resulted in the uh, average expected goals against of 3.21 i think according to understat uh, when when dortmund are in the lead um so dortmund i think have arrived at a different headspace within pretty much a week just because of uh, you know the way they turned the games around against gladbach that gave them a big boost for wolfsburg and that again gave them a big boost for inter and that will obviously give them a big boost for bayern so, um, you know, a lot of amplification through the way that Dortmund managed to really, you know, get stuck in or whatever you want to call it, show some urgency, maybe uh, because they had to in the DFB Pokal and that sparked a lot of goodness and positivity. Obviously, um, Bayern have been some sort of bogey team for Dortmund. And as you earlier said, Matthias, Hummels talked about that very notion that uh, last season when he still was playing for Bayern, he could sense that Dortmund, you know, they they, they just crapped their pants before the game and during the game and uh, Bayern were never in doubt about winning. So I don't want to see any relapses from, Do from Dortmund either in the sense that they are too conservative, too cautious, or if they manage to take the lead, then just sit back and, and hope Bayern don't score on them. I want to see Dortmund play positive football through 90 minutes and stay on the front foot as much as possible, which, of course, you can't always do in the Allianz Arena, but at least try and never really back down. So um, this is what I want to see from this team. And Michael Zorc today at the press conference obviously went on a rant because he is very well aware of Dortmund's atrocious record. Dortmund haven't uh, won at the Allianz 
Allianz Arena in the, in the Bundesliga since 2014 and the goal scores in that 3-0 win were Mickey Tyrant, Royce and Hofmann, so a very long time ago. And of course, that win only came because Bayern were already champions. And if you want to look at the competitive Bundesliga win, if you will, against Bayern in Munich, you have to go back all the way to 2011, where Mario Götze was the sole goal scorer. So an eternity ago, yes, there was that uh, one cup win or two or whatever Dortmund have, but, uh, you know, um, I, I still want them to do much, much better in the Bundesliga. And I think this is an opportunity. So, Matthias, do you think that finally Dortmund have what it takes mentally, have the guts or whatever you want to call it, um, to to go to Munich and, and actually win there and, and show that face that they have shown late against Gladbach and uh, in the second half against Inter? 100%. Absolutely. I mean, uh, certain professional veteran type players, Axel Witzel, you can't forget, he's not a, a newbie in, in terms of playing football. He's a, he's a veteran player. And that was embarrassing for him uh, to, to play like that. So he's got something to prove. Uh, Azad and Brandt, uh, they don't have anything to prove other than just play and have a good time and have fun. Maybe Brandt a little bit. I don't see him as the type of player who gives a crap about the BS stuff that Bayern say when Bayern said, well, we decided we didn't want him. So basically, Dortmund could have him, kind of a garbage uh, that they had said a, a little bit ago. Um, but then Hobbins definitely has something to prove. I mean, there's no doubt there. Um, gets it as well, but uh, I think there's going to be the the leaders in the team, the leaders in the dressing room, even Marco Royce, whether he plays or not, have something to prove, and they're not going to allow any slip-ups to happen. Uh, Mats Hummels definitely doesn't want to get embarrassed on his return to Munich. Um, so I think given how the last three competitive matches went for Dortmund, uh, they're supremely confident, not overconfident, but they have enough, they've regained their self-belief that apparently had fallen away a bit. And I think uh, from that aspect, I have absolutely no concerns. Yeah, I, I really hope you're right there. Now, Abel, um, the Super, Super Cup win against Bayern was basically Ömer Toprak's farewell match because Hummels was out. I think he had a flu or muscular problems or whatever. He, he didn't play. And uh, so this will be the first time Hummels faces Bayern in a Dortmund shirt after returning. And I do wonder what kind of effect this will have on the game because um, obviously he is world-class when it comes to the build-up play. So do you think Dortmund will profit immensely from that? And and if so, how do you think his uh, addition to Dortmund and his, uh, you know, uh, him missing at Bayern, how do you think overall this uh, affects the dynamic of this particular tie? I mean, it's definitely, like, interesting from storyline narrative perspective. And for sure, like, you saw this against Barcelona, how he got up for, for that game. And, and I think, I don't know if it was that much against Inter, but, uh, like, this is the game that I think he's he's been kind of, I don't know, dreaming about or at least circle on his calendar or whatever, uh, you know, use your own cliche here. But, uh, yeah, like, he, he definitely wants to, wants to, 
get back at Bayern and and uh, you know show that he's still somebody and you know uh, whether or not like the national team is on his mind, I think that's 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 probably not going to happen. But but still, like, wouldn't it be like the the thing for him to to have this great game and then you know even enter into that conversation and just to get back on Bayern? I think that that's one. And you know, uh, in front of Munich fans, which you know who. who you know, I think we're fairly split on on him leaving, and and you know the old bosses as well. So and obviously him him being from from uh, from Munich as well. So uh, yeah, whether or not it's gonna show in terms of the offensive qualities that he has, I, I'm not sure because you know it comes back to the point that we were talking about how much Dortmund is gonna have the ball. But I think it's gonna maybe show up in the great defensive plays and you know maybe he's going to have one of those where he's had a few of those uh super uh, saves for Bayern in the last couple of seasons you know which people don't seem to remember but maybe he's going to have uh, one of those great defensive defining moments yeah one can only hope that Hummels has uh, another masterclass performance because y you know the uh the backlash that uh, he will get if if he doesn't from Dortmund fans <laughs> yeah. and then uh, you know the from those tweets are ready. People got those tweets like, you know, already uh, set to send. They've got them typed out. The draft is ready. All they got to do is hit the send button. Like, you know, they're coming. Yeah. So um, anyway, you know what's coming now. I think it's time to uh, predict this game. Matthias, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, uh, let's see. My gut is telling me a 2-1 victory for Dortmund with the one goal, of course, coming from Lewandowski for Bayern. Abel? Yeah, she just kind of stole stole my idea. So I was, I was you know, I was thinking like between two two or two one, but I'll go with the conservative uh, two two draw. Even though I, I wanted to, I wanted to give the two one, but now I'm going to go with the two two draw. But yeah, definitely Lewandowski goal. <laughs> You know, I'm going to jinx us all now, but uh -oh. I will predict that Dortmund actually beat Bayern quite resoundingly, and I predict a 4-2 win for Dortmund. I okay, and we're going to play this back for, like, eternity. That That is fine. Just, just uh, save this clip, yeah. Abu, you, you can't imagine how much tape there is of me getting things <laughs> wrong, and that could, could be played back, but actually never <laughs> are, so... I don't care, but I, I think uh, Lewandowski and Bayern uh, some way or some form will score two goals, but I also do think that uh, Dortmund will be absolutely lethal on the counter-attack and looking at Bayern's uh, hampered backline, I think the further on the game goes, the more opportunities Dortmund will have. And I think Dortmund, if they can sense that there's an opportunity to embarrass Bayern, they will take it. So I think 4-2 to two is uh, is going to be a result that sends shockwaves through the Bundesliga. Maybe it's more wishful thinking than an accurate prediction. I don't care. Uh, that's that's my pick. So here we are. And uh, that is it for our show today. And we will be back after, I guess, the Bayern game. Then there's the international break. And then we have, a, I don't know, Q&A episode or whatever. Abel, uh, thank you a lot for coming on. Uh, please tell our listeners how to A, find you on Twitter and B, subscribe and how much to pay <laughs> for your Bundesliga Bulletin newsletter. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, BundesPL and then the newsletter is on Substack. So it's uh, BundesligaBulletin.substack.com and 
there's a free version which gets a couple things a month and then you get like the option of paying five bucks a month or 50 per year and then you get like a couple more posts and more you know player breakdowns match analysis uh you know some scenes that i found interesting and uh long long term analysis and then uh if any of you for some reason have uh the the capacity or the ability to watch Hungarian uh, TV. Uh, I'm going to be on the Sport One, which is the the network that covers the Bundesliga. I'm going to be on there from like an hour before because we have a pregame show as well. So uh, that's that's about enough of me, I think, even even for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 good. I'm I'm happy you you have uh, a lot of things to to plug. Too busy. <laughs> yeah, Matthias, what can you plug? <laughs> It's not a competition. Uh, no, uh, a competition I would <laughs> lose Matthias, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, at uh, Matthias on Twitter. That is very nice. Again, you can find me at Stefan Botsko on Twitter. And uh, if you think five bucks a month is way too much, then <laughs> there's still one buck you can pay for us for the yellowwall.net and read our written content which is mostly provided by me i don't know at some point i have to recruit abel <laughs> and then pay him a cut i guess <laughs> or just raise <laughs> raise the price i don't know um but uh, <laughs> anywho before before i uh, continue to uh, ramble you can find the yellow wall pot on YouTube, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Stitcher Radio, on Amazon, and of course on, on Google Play. And uh, if you have a podcatcher, I don't know, and you need the RSS feed, you go to theyellowwall.net. You can find it on there. And of course, um, everything else. If you want to contact us, then uh, please do that to, I think the email is yellowwallpod at gmail.com. If you want to send us a note, feedback, or uh, any other inquiries, please do that. And uh, otherwise, I will talk to you, Matthias, hopefully next week. And Abel, you are, as always, invited. But I know you are very busy with a the Bundesliga Bulletin and uh, you are new kid. So uh, no pressure. Anyway, as... No, I'm always happy to come on. As always, uh, thank you, everyone out there, for listening. And thank you again to the San Francisco... BVB Fan Club for sponsoring this episode. Until next week, goodbye.